This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Play the play on the show. show, show. It is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Saturday night's preseason game was a bit frustrating because in that game you didn't get to see any of the first-team offense and you also didn't get to see any of the rhythm, the tempo, all of the things that we have been promised under Shane Waldron, all of the things that we were hoping to see under Shane Waldron. And with the way that the NFL has been going, it's not the end of the world. This isn't the 1960s or 70s or 80s where you're playing a ton of preseason games and also you're playing to win those preseason games. No, it's now at a point where you're trying to get out of the preseason without any injuries, just like you're trying to get out of training camp without any injuries. I do still wonder, though, if there could have been any advantage, any gain to the Seahawks in Saturday night having any of that first-team offense out there. To have a little bit of Russell Wilson and the offensive line and the wide receivers now in a new system with new route concepts and all sorts of different things together for one series to push the pace together. Maybe we'll see it this coming Saturday when the Seahawks play the Denver Broncos for preseason game number two. I doubt we'll see it in the last game of the preseason, just given the way that the last game of the preseason is typically handled. It's usually the chance for the guys who are probably roster spots 30 through 53 to determine whether or not they're going to be able to make the team. But it could be some advantage to having both the Seahawks, Shane Waldron, also throw Russell Wilson into there, to have at least a little bit of time on the field in an actual game situation together, Danny? I don't find myself feeling that this is... I, I, I'm, I'm okay with them not playing. I, I think the, the downside and the risk of it, especially when it comes to injury, outweighs the upside of repetition and getting an opportunity to sort of test under a simulated game situation. I, I, I like the fact that, that they're holding the starters out. I'm surprised by it, though, because it seems very much against the grain of what Pete Carroll has usually done. When did he shift away from the preseason approach of old? Because I well, was, I looked back. Yeah, I looked back. 2019, Russell didn't play in the first preseason game that year. Like that was, and but he did play in the second one. So that was that was one of the first times that I'd seen it. And then they didn't have a preseason last year. And it does feel like there's so Seattle. There's been a change across the league. Seattle held 31 players out, which was the fourth most. Like the Rams, I think they held 38 out. The Rams have kind of been at the edge of this. Of of holding guys out and talking to Brock Heward, it, it's possible. I mean, Pete would be could be swayed by data, and and Seattle has typically. I know people like to moan and groan about that their reluctance to rely on sort of probability charts in determining when to punt or when to go for it on fourth down. But Seattle's sports science department has been actually very progressive in terms of injury treatment. In terms of how they their training schedules and those sort of things, so maybe Pete saw some data because the best I can tell, this is over the past two years that it's changed. Yeah, so also factor in this that 
my biggest big issue has to do with what you just mentioned a second ago. The the injuries and no Dwayne Brown out there is concerning. No Cedric Abuihi out there is concerning. Stone Forsythe out there, at least for now, with the first team unit is concerning, especially after what happened to Geno Smith. It's not like there was a torn ligament or anything like that, but it's amazing that that's sort of what we talk about now when it comes to injuries. Oh, well, a concussion, he could be back in a couple of weeks. It sounds very callous, but that could have been worse, and there could have been other moments where it it, it could have been just as bad with other players, perhaps as a result of guys being in with that first-team unit that aren't acclimated to playing at the NFL level. Isn't it mostly, though? It's it's mostly that the risk of injury, period. Not just the risk of injury is accentuated because of the other personnel that's in there. Right? It's the risk of injury, period. Because the likelihood of a guy getting hurt, I mean, I guess it's impacted some by not having your starters there, but there's a chance that happens every time. And I think teams are just deciding it's not worth the risk with your regulars. The, the, the upside of what you gain in rehearsal or side of practicing something under a simulated game situation isn't worth the risk of how much your season can be changed with an injury to a player. They still can get hurt in practice, though. I mean, we just That's saw true. with Kobe Parkinson. But but you're not getting tackled, right? There's certain injuries that you take off the table. You know, these days, you are right. And I, I think that that actually does have a net effect in the preseason games. I would say something that you observed in that game Saturday night, Akella Witherspoon maybe not being as gung-ho about tackling as you would like to see. I think that's something that's a natural byproduct when no one is tackling anybody at training camp or in the mock game. How do you get better if you're not practicing it at all? People, when the season starts, and I remember this last year, sort of the question of whether the sloppiness relates to the lack of practice reps or the lack of hitting in training camp. And there are people who feel that sort of that produces some of the sloppiness that we've seen in the game because they aren't practicing tackling, because they aren't going through those repetitions. I don't know if I buy that. And I, I, I think that whatever you lose, whatever you lose in that, you gain by not putting your players through getting beat up, through the wear and tear that they're subjected to, even if it doesn't knock them out from a, for a game, even if it limits them in practice that week, or even if it just has... Like, the, the net effect of attrition, I, I, I think that that upside... I'm glad to see that Pete has kind of turned the page on this and isn't looking at preseason games as an opportunity to sharpen or hone his team. Is that gain, though, of not having players injured significant? And I would say that the advantage that you would get out of putting the first-team offense out there in the preseason is probably not very significant. I guess, though, would it outweigh... Would it? Would no injuries or no risk of injuries outweigh that dress rehearsal experience? I don't think it would outweigh it by that much, if that makes sense. I feel like we're talking about two very, very minimal possibilities. The chances of you improving by having that offense out on the field in the preseason game, but also the chances that somebody gets hurt. Because we still are talking about a sport while violent, where it's not as if injuries are happening on every single play. You're right. You're right. And 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 Russ isn't going to run. Like there are certain there are certain things that you're you're not going to do. Are we talking about this though because we want to see them or because we yes. think it's good for them? Oh it's- no no no! Like like there's there's a part of this that people want the preseason game to be more exciting, and I think the problem with the preseason games is our expectations and not the way they're played. And I think people that complain about that 
are are focusing on their satisfaction as a viewer as opposed to what's best for the team. Oh yeah, no doubt. I'm I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I mean, I I I was bored Saturday. I know I'm watching some of these other younger players getting chances to play, but I mean, shoot, I mean that offensive performance was dreadful. You know, yeah, it was bad. And you look at it and you're like, oh, what do I draw from this? We weren't able to see the new offense. We weren't. I'd like to be able to see those things. That's a terrible reason to do it, though. If you're a coach, right? Yeah. Like making your fans happy over the viewing experience should be the least thing that that should be the thing you are least worried about. I'm I'm with you. And that's I mean, that's why I want to get rid of it altogether. I hate the preseason. I, I don't like the games. I feel like joint practices are so much more advantageous. You can practice every single scenario. And I get it. You know, it's difficult for some teams to perhaps travel compared to others. I don't know if teams I don't know if coaches would disagree with you there, Paul. I think the issue here is an economics issue. Mm. I think that the NFL by selling season tickets and requiring when you have season tickets, you have to pay full freight for it used to be two, and now it's going to be one or two preseason games. They, that's, that's how they, they've, they've subsidized their own product. And so the NFL creates a situation where you have to play the preseason games. And they used to play like six preseason yeah, games. Yeah, they did. Now, the issue, I think, for coaches are like, well, what if we decide that the, the preseason games aren't good for us? What if we decide that it's best for our players not to do that? And the NFL is like, well, dude, you're still going to charge full care. freight on those yeah. because teams aren't going to give back money. It's the same thing that's happening in the NBA. The NBA is a better product. The NBA's entire product would be helped if the regular season was 30 games shorter. If you had a 52-game regular season, everything would be better. Players would be more available. They would try harder. It would eliminate a major amount of the actual legitimate problems with regular season NBA basketball. They will never do it. Why? Because that's 15 home dates. That's 15 sets of tickets. That's 15 times the concessions. If you eliminate three preseason games, if you take 1.5 games of revenue away from these teams, they're going to howl about it. And they're going to they're gonna complain. Like, they're going to feel right. like they won't it's, do it for an economic reason. It has nothing to do with the actual thing that should be most important, which is the quality of the football. And, yeah, you get, like, concessions thrown in there, too, even if they're garbage, like at SoFi Stadium. I can see why everyone was fighting at SoFi Stadium. Someone did, said, made me aware of just how bad the food was. Did you see it? They had, like, pepperoni pizza with no pepperoni on the pizza. I would oh, fight really? someone over that, too. Yeah. That's a new stadium. Yeah, exactly. What, they can't even get it together about in, getting the pepperoni on their pizza? You're in Los Angeles, too. I mean, you have no excuse. Like, you have to have the most glitzy and glamorous, uh, I would say, fan experience possible. I Has everybody seen that fight footage by now? Yes. Has everybody seen the fight footage? Where that lady throws the, the, the soda in there at, at two people who are already pretty heated, and next thing you know, there's that guy's on the ground dude, getting punched in the butt. There's one dude... In an Aaron Donald jersey that really wants to fight. There's four dudes below him whose attire, they're, they're Rams fans, so it's not a Chargers versus Rams thing. And they're generally protesting the guy who wants to fight, who's a big dude. And then there's a lady behind who throws the, the, the cup in there. I have a question. Generally, I've understood that a primary tenet of warfare is that the upper ground has the advantage. I have is, the high ground, Anakin. Is that no longer true when you're talking about stadium, in stadium, in stand combat? I would because still we've think now it's seen, upper hand. We've now seen two very public examples where the guy, in this case, the big guy that wanted to fight and who backhanded and hit all four of the dudes with his single backhand, which was just logistically impressive. He ends up getting pushed down to them where he is 
face down, kind of on top of the bleacher rails, just getting wailed on. And like you said, at one point, one guy's punching him in the butt. So like the, just why would you punch him butt? in the butt, which seems like a weird tactic. A lot of muscle there. That's, uh, that's not going to make much of a dent. But this also happened in Suns and Four, dude, right? There were two Nuggets fans who were above him. And granted, the, Sun, the Suns fan, who was just wearing a jersey... He was bigger looked, than them, though, looked right? significantly bigger. But he reached up, grabbed the, the punk Nugget fan who, who sucker-punched him... By the by, the collar and like basically pulled him down and had him where he was off balance. I think being on the lower ground in stadium combat, like I think this, the I have the higher ground needs to be revised because I don't think it's an advantage if you're brawling in the bleachers. You know what? There's a point to this because a lot of these uh, chairs, uh, you know, one level to the next, you're punching down so hard, and there's also that little gap where I mean, you can't really step on the chairs to punch down necessarily. So there's almost like this little buffer zone in between. So yeah, I actually. I could see how the, the person at the lower ground has mu- maybe a little advantage. But the other thing is, too, I think generally the people that want to fight, they're so incensed and stupid and probably you know intoxicated that they're also just begging for trouble by trying to get into a back and forth, a tussle, a Donnybrook. 99.9% of all dudes do not fight as well as they think they fight. Right? 99.9. Like, there is, a, there is a slim minority of people that actually fight as well as they think they do, and many of those are professional combatants. But when you lean forward in a situation where there's a bleacher at, at your shins, like, you become in a situation where, where your, your weight can shift, right? And at the point that you weight, it's similar to when you go get ahead of your skis. <laughs> when you get ahead of your skis and all of a sudden, like once that once that balance shifts and it becomes a, a disadvantage. But I was like, because I would have always said that, hey, the guy in the higher ground in a stadium brawl has the advantage. I don't think that's true. I, I think I think maybe it's more like the line of scrimmage, like low man wins when it comes to those things. Now, now the tactic should be that you grab hold of that person that's at the higher ground and try to bring that, like, leverage them down to your level. Oh, yeah, like you lift them over and you, like, try to no, throw no, them down no, to just another pull. level. No, uh, no, you don't want to actually slam it. You want to pull down because then they're going to be unable to punch because they're feeling like they're falling forward, and then you just go to town on them. Pulling, pulling down would be possible, but, but also I think you could sort of send them on a crowd surf, an, an unintended crowd surf. If they were to, like, lean over, you can just grab them by the chest and be like, and throw them down. Sorry, it we're thinking about this too long. much. It's, it's Danny Gallant. We're trying uh, now to go around the NFL. Text line is violent. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Speaking of the high ground, one time when I was at a Patriots game, a uh, drunk fan had the high ground on me, but he used the high ground and, and he just fell on me uh, and uh, then proceeded to spew. Which was terrible because we had to leave the game early because of this. We missed a great 10-point ten, ten comeback in the last two minutes of the game because of this drunk guy. Ew. You got vomited on? That's foul. Uh, it was on my shoe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's horrendous. Yeah, it wasn't good. wasn't good. Classic Southies. Southie people. Oh, it was an actual Patriot fan that got mad at you? No, the guy was just intoxicated and fell over and then, like, ended up puking on me. My, it was just oh. me and my dad, and it was, like, four guys there. So we were sort of like, okay, like, what do we do here? So we got security, and we had to leave. And, yeah, and I missed a 10-point comeback in two minutes. Never will leave a game early again. NFL! <laughs> it's a league. At least it was just your shoe. Mm-hmm. I got vomited on when I was cocktail waitressing once. Oh! Uh. And the guy didn't understand why he needed to leave after that. Oh. He was trying to argue it. And I was like, no, you're done. 
Your evening is over. Yes. You're disgusting. Throw them out. <laughs> it seems sounds similar to uh, Jeremy Stevens, Hope Solo's husband, who in one of his arrests, he's been arrested in four states. One of them, one of them, and this was at Duke's Retired Surfer's Bar. He was asked to leave. It was relatively early in the evening at 8 p.m. He declared he was not going to leave. The bouncers tried to escort him out, and he punched the two of them. One of them, I think, had to go to the hospital. And then the dude that, I I think he might have broke his nose, maybe broke his eye. Jeremy did. And then that dude just sat on him until the cops came. Breaking your eye. That's, that's That's only the fourth most ridiculous arrest of Jeremy Stevens at Duke's Retired Surfer's Bar. Wow. Wait, specifically all there? No, no, no. That was oh. the, That's just at that specific spot. The most ridiculous arrest was when he crashed into the retirement home in Shoreline. Oh, my God. It, it, as, a, like as, a, as, a, as a college student and then was seen using his UW football sweatshirt as well as textbooks to try and get traction to back his truck out of the out of the room into well, which he crashed. Good to know he, the, he tried to use his education for something. Traction. Second most ridiculous arrest came outside of the Buccaneers team hotel in 2010. Okay. In which the volume of his stereo attracted Tampa police to his truck. I think it was an F-150. They smelled pot. At that point, they searched his car and they found a Crown Royal bag containing weed enough that they uh, arrested him for intent to distribute in a duffel bag that also included his, his Buccaneers playbook. He asked the officer if the officer could cut him a break. The officer did not. He did, however, take Jeremy's playbook and return it to uh, team personnel inside the <laughs> in, in inside the team hotel before taking young Mister Stevens off to jail. Oh wow, that guy cares about the Bucks. My goodness, wow. It's, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the word is. It's not impressive. Criminal. That's the word. Uh, criminal. Quite the, quite the rap sheet there. Uh, all right, guys. Well, we have some sad news in the NFL today. Let me let me set the mood here. The Jaguars have released Tim Tebow after one preseason. Game. No! You guys are hyenas. <laughs> no, not Tim. Hyenas. Listen. Do you think it was like when Wesley Snipes in New Jack City has to put down his brother? And he's got tears running down his face. She broke my heart. For Urban Meyer, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Or was it like old Yeller? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> Man. I'm a terrible human. I'm not, I'm not piling human. on. I'm not, Why not piling on Tim Why Tebow. not? Because, first off, he gave me two national championships oh, as a God. Florida Gator fan. Second off, he beat the Steelers in the playoffs, which is hilarious because I think that's the source of why John you Clayton's so You only get so to be obnoxious about, about one college. You've got Syracuse already. Yeah, but yeah, like, that's I do true. It, I do it with Fair Syracuse ironically. More. Very, very, very good. Do you think I actually believe like all this, the things I say about Syracuse? I don't. Florida's actually good at football. That, that, Used that, to be good at football. When shut up, you and dumb then, fan. And then, and then Urban got really sick and tired. Yeah, you, is he gonna is he gonna quit with Jacksonville the same way he quit at Florida because Tim, Tim Tebow's no longer there? I don't know. I mean, he has to win a championship first before he quits. You know, he, will he be able to do that without Tim Tebow? Because he couldn't do it in college well, without Tim Tebow. Chris Peterson didn't win a championship when he quit. So uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I feel like I feel like we're throwing uh, stones at people that actually can back up the talk. He finally moved on from Tebow. This was not the big deal that I think a lot of people made it out to be that they put him on the roster. 
It wasn't. They tried it out. It didn't work. Whatever. Was what a- was the point? What was the point? It was a dog and pony show. You're the Jacksonville there was no Jaguars. Point to this. You're the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's a he is a North Florida legend. He is. He is a he is a North Florida legend. You want to drum up interest? That is a way to drum up interest. People love that guy. What did we just talk about? The stupid. What do stupid teams do? They give the fans what they want. They try and figure out like, oh, oh, let's go play our starters in a preseason game because it'll drum up fan interest. Let's sign Tim Tebow because it'll drum up fan interest. Uh, they they have Trevor Lawrence. Okay, this also sort of takes away attention from Trevor Lawrence. No. Yeah. So so Trevor Lawrence needs to be coddled by bringing in Tim Tebow. There's no justification possible for this. I know, I can't, I can't justify it. I'm trying. I'm trying my best. I, I do think, Florida though, man tries to defend Tim Tebow. <laughs> That's great. You know, if you're going to dump on anybody, it's dump on Urban Meyer. Urban. It's not Tebow. I mean, yeah, T- Tim Tebow's just giving it, letting, he's living out his fantasy camp life. Oh he's going to go pretend he's a baseball player. He's cosplay. He's a, he's a cosplay athlete at this point. The baseball one I actually take issue with because that's not his sport. The football Did you one see him I try and block? He was a more credible home run hitter than he was a blocker. Good point. <laughs> Come on. I have a joke. I'm keeping it close to the best. I'm not going to go against my Timmy. Nope. Not going to do it. From the 509, Paul does sound like a Florida man. True. True. <laughs> Bristle alligators. All right. Well, I think we, we used all our time on Tebow and Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> Another Jeremy Stevens arrest story. <laughs> oh, yeah. We had one more, right? We have like three I, I, more, don't we? <laughs> I'm, well, there are. There's a couple of them that aren't funny that I won't. The, the oh. next one I will. Um, it involves the salty senorita and the best excuse ever given to a police officer. That's next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. All right, I've been counting down uh, Jeremy Stevens' arrests in order of comic little details. There's four, right? So we've gotten, we've gotten two of them. Yeah, you've got, we've gotten three. So we've got three. number one, which is the used... UW football sweatshirt and textbooks to try and back out of a retirement home that he crashed into. That's when he was an undergrad. It's MacGyver moves, you know. Yeah. Some people, they, they, they think about these things, and they know that they can use anything as a tool. Number two was being arrested on suspicion of DUI, which has happened in three states to him. Now, what, was, what stood out about the one in Los Angeles, though, this happened in 2014, was that he was driving the U.S. Women's National Team van. Like that was the, the, his, his wife, Hope Solo, was on the team, so he was behind the wheel there. That that that's the one that really uh, separated that one. I believe there was also uh, footage or an account of what was said to the officer after it was pulled over, which included uh, Hope Solo saying the "Don't you know who I am?" sort of thing. Number four is the Duke's retired surfers bar, which is mostly comical for the name of it and the fact that at 8 p.m. he was asked to leave, did not leave, and then ended up getting into a fight with bouncers who he then got arrested. Number three, though, is one. There, there's a couple. First, this happened while he was a free agent. He's a free agent. He was leaving the Seattle Seahawks. They were not going to resign him. It's 2006. And he is pulled over in Arizona. Police find... Um, uh, a small amount of marijuana that's wrapped in a napkin in his back pocket. 
That's that's one of the things that happened. They also asked him where he'd been. He informs them that he'd been at the Salty Senorita, which I was informed from my sources in in the Phoenix area is actually a place known for weak pores. But th- huh. that the that, name well, sounds re- so promising. Yeah, that that reputation would take a hit because they asked him if he had anything to drink, and his response was five or six margaritas. Oh boy! Now, yeah, three. You're comical. asking for trouble. Yeah. What 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 was comical about that is like, did he? Look, do you give him? Credit for honesty? Like, he didn't try... Like, usually people are, I just had two drinks, right? Like, that's the standard. I just had a couple. Like, he's like five or six. Do you give him points for honesty? Or do you... Like, in what world did he think that the police officer was going to look at him and say, oh, well, he's a big dude. I'm sure he metabolized those six margaritas and is totally under the legal limit for alcohol. If you say five to six, you're bragging. That's 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 like I've talking to your friends, to like, six. yeah, man, I had so many drinks this weekend. That's that's what you. That is something that you do, I would imagine, in your early twenties. So I suppose that's perhaps what was behind his his humble brag to the cop. Well, well, well. Shockingly, the police went to above and beyond, and after uh, looking past and saying, "Yes, okay, we understand five or six, but we still have to do our our due diligence here." He was found to be under suspicion of of DUI. He was arrested. He refused to breathe into a breathalyzer. Forced a blood draw which I believe was taken, if you're wondering why I know so many of these things, it's because I've covered a great deal of these arrests and probably know more about his criminal history than than maybe any person should. But uh, I I believe that the blood draw happened at about 7 in the morning, so it was like four or five hours after he was was actually pulled over, and his his BAC was still like a a .18, which was more than twice the legal limit. And that was... Like multiple hours, like four to five hours after oh, wow. he'd been found driving. Good. Like so, it was, and and I and I believe that one came with a mandatory minimum. But that's what I've always thought is like, how many of you had five or six? What? <laughs> what? Is, what? Yeah, that ended about how you had it. The rest, the, the rest of the, I mean, he'd been arrested in high school. He was arrested in college. He was arrested repeatedly in the pros, and he's been arrested after the pros. Like it's a remarkably consistent cr- criminal criminal rap sheet. Wow. Well, uh, to Jeremy Stevens. Go dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a that's an unfortunate one. We started the the show today. It is Danny Galan. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. Uh, talking about Jamal Adams and whether or not certainly there was a story in the Seattle Times today that's echoing the other reports that we've seen uh, around the league. This week that the two sides are basically at a standoff. The Seahawks have made what they've characterized as their best offer. We've heard people saying generally when Seattle gets to this point, they don't move. And we've heard from from Adam's side that that they're they're not willing. He's not willing to accept the offer that's on the table. Who blinks here? Why would Seattle blink when they haven't blinked in the past? You know, look at Cam Chancellor. Two games and then he was back. Did that situation get resolved? Nope. With Dwayne Brown, too, it's the same way, probably. Do you think Jamal Adams blinks? Because from the player's perspective, here's here's the choice he faces. If Seattle doesn't improve its offer, he can accept the extension and get, basically, he's, he's going to be assured of making $38 million a year. He'll become the highest paid safety. But he's, he's settling for something that he, he feels is... Is is below what what he thinks what he was expecting or what he thinks is worth. His alternatives are he's got a salary for nine point eight million dollars this year. It's one year left on the contract. If he says no, he can then either play that year out, 
collect the $9.8 million, progress toward unrestricted free agency, knowing that Seattle's probably going to apply the franchise tag to him. Or he can decide to miss games, at which point he's going to be giving up what this is going to be the biggest salary that he's had in in his career. He's going to be missing that comes out. It's it's a little more than half a million dollars a game that, that he'll miss that he won't get paid for. He'll show up about halfway through the season to make sure that it, that it accrues and then be in that same position where he's progressing toward unrestricted free agency. In that case, I would assume that both sides would be looking for and hoping to come to an agreement on a trade that he would go somewhere else. But he would probably be franchised again because Seattle's not just going to let him walk as an unrestricted free agent. Right. So there's only a potential for Adams to blink here. I wonder just how stubborn he could be. I think a lot of people in New York seem to assume that this is going to be just the way that it was in New York, which was a stubborn standoff. I don't think it's going to be like that. If it does get to that point, are there any factors that could make the Seahawks blink? Because I feel like they're one of those weird people that just doesn't. I don't think it's possible for them to blink in this situation. You know, even with Russell Wilson potentially throwing some more gasoline out there about how he was willing to take a restructure to help Jamal Adams out or something like that, even that and the idea that maybe an unhappy Russ with a bad defense on the other side of things because there's no Jamal Adams might not win enough games to make Russ want to stay here long term. I don't think even that's going to necessarily change Seattle's mind on this. Probably not. They're not that far apart, which is a good sign. It could be you could make a, a fairly minor accommodation and and get over the hump if this is just about pride. But I, th- I think essentially in the broad strokes of this, like the broad picture is Seattle, anything they change from here on out would be minor. It's, it's probably not going to be. If they don't change anything, and this is a question to everybody out there. You can text in 710-710-Mac and Jack's text line. I put the poll uh, up last night on Twitter of if do you, do you think he has a contract? Does he accept the extension as it is by game one? 70% said yes. 70% are expecting Jamal Adams will be the one that blinks here. Is there any point to continuing this stare down then? And uh, a text, I, I think this is a good point. Adams has almost nothing to lose to sit on the offer until just before game one. I mean, right. just sit and wait. And, and, and see if they change their mind. Now, there's no precedent for them to change their mind, but why not? You're right about that. The only way to force a decision would be to say, okay, the offer goes off the table. The, the, the only way to force a decision here would be to say that. I, I would assume that they're both... I would assume that that happens before game one. That they're like, okay, once we get into the season, we'll then revisit this in the future, but that's no longer a standing offer. Yeah, I think so too. So... We'll see how it plays out. Uh, we, we have set dates for when we believe the situation will be resolved, right? I have uh, Friday, September 3rd, and you have Monday, September 6th, which and is— Brock picked September 8th. Correct, which is the Wednesday before their season opener on the 12th in Indianapolis. Do you want to participate in our in our in our uh, dr- date lottery? You can text in seven ten seven ten. It's Danny and Gallant. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We will raise flags. That's coming up next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. 
flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It's that time where we put our heads together to make sense of the previous three hours. We got into a lot of things today. We talked about the the logistics of having the higher ground uh, in in a stadium fight and how that may defy the typical understanding that, that that's an advantage in modern warfare. Mm-hmm. Not not so much if you're being pulled down on onto a, uh, over a bleacher. I've seen a couple of examples of how that can be a real liability. Low yes. man wins in some of those cases. Yeah, and also, I mean, you throw a little alcohol into the equation and that's going to just... Make the un- the impossible possible. Yeah. Yeah. Bad news. Bad news all around. Don't fight at stadiums. Los Angeles, calm down. It's First fight it- I ever saw in a stadium was at the Rose Bowl. It's a beautiful city. Why are you guys always fighting? You guys are low-key worse than Philadelphia and Boston. You're right about that. And it's weird because the rep of L.A. fans is kind of for being indifferent. Right. right? Like the crowd doesn't show up until the third inning at Dodger games. First fight I ever saw, I was at a Rose Bowl between USC and Michigan. I was there with my uncle, who was a priest, gave tickets to me and another uh, of his of his parishioners. We went there, and we ended up seeing seeing like this Michigan fan get walloped by a couple of drunk USC fans. It was awful. Wow. Yeah, I feel like the USC fans would like pay someone to do it for them, Lori Laughlin style. You know what? That is a that is a that is a solid USC dig. You're welcome. Hand to God, I'm proud of you for that. Thank you. That was, that, was, that, was, that was well placed. USC hate knows no uh, limitations. It is East Coast. It is also in the Southeast, and it is everywhere. I don't know anybody that likes them. I I, I think in my life I've met one person that went there, and she was she was a sweetheart. Uh, absolutely, absolutely great lady. You know why? You know why the main reason I dislike them? The love of my then college life transferred there. So oh, really, I hated them already. And then oh, I hated why them would even someone more. leave Syracuse for USC? <laughs> I, I wonder. I know what a smart decision, honestly, on her part. Still, still bums me out to this day. Maura, what do you got for a flag? I'm going to raise a flag for our, our guest today, Carrie Hyder. Um, this was one of my favorite moments from his interview. Have you, have you ever have you ever come close to getting an interception or anything? Um, I mean, I would define close. You know, in my head, <laughs> I define close. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, that sounds like you've been pretty close, though. <laughs> right? Oh, great! He was funny. That or Island. We're looking at it because he had three fumble returns. Like last year's was 14 yards. Like, do you think you're taking it to the house? He's like, I did. <laughs> it's so fun to watch a big man run with the football. It's the best. Cause, it's cause the absolute best. They don't really know what they're doing, but they're so much bigger than everybody. And if you're one of those guys that are, uh, I would say, Michael Bump is sized, do you really want to make that business decision to go take that guy out? Talk to Wyman because Wyman's had a couple of interceptions, and he's always talked about that his returns were just the worst, just <laughs> oh, the worst. I saw the one that he had, uh, the, and I, I think Mike Lefko found it, and he posted it on the Wyman and Bob Twitter account because he had one of Dan Marino. And it, yes, Marino takes his legs out. Oh, and Marino's slow as molasses. Yeah, Marino said to him after that play, like the next series when he was on the field, he's like scanning over and calling out the play, and he looks at Wyman, and he goes, "Nice play." <laughs> 
That's pretty God, funny. I love Wyman. Uh, I'm throwing a flag on Hope Solo. I know, I know. She gets Hope Solo's criticism of Megan Rapino saying that Megan Rapino was practically bullying other players into making a demonstration during the national anthem. Look, I'm not going to assume that that was an act of solid. I, I think locker rooms are complicated places. I don't pretend to know what went on in that locker room. I will say that I am not going to trust Hope Solo as a reliable indicator of that. Uh. And that's for two reasons. First of all, at some point between being ostracized in 2007, suspended in 2014, and then suspended in 2016 and not brought back to the U.S. women's national team, you lose your status as an an objective observer of what happened therein. And the second part is that she's basically spent the past four years criticizing everything about that national team. At, at, at what point? Yeah. She's just not a good source for this. I just, I just, look, I don't know what happened in there, but at some point along the way, at some point along the way, like Hope Solo lost her standing as as moral arbiter for the U.S. women's national team. I do think it's possible that maybe some teammates felt this yeah. way and shared Didn't that with like Solo, it. and that's I why Solo it. said it. But coming from her, you would yeah. like specific examples. And just anything coming from her, period. Say she was yeah. still on the team at the time of that. She just comes off as someone who's got the sour grapes. And sometimes people who are right and have sour grapes aren't going to be viewed in that light. All right, Paul, what do you got for a flag? I'm throwing a jeez, oh, throwing a flag on all the voice cracks I've had today. That's two. I'm throwing a flag. Today's the day Paul became a man. <laughs> I'm throwing a flag on all the Tim Tebow haters. You people. <laughs> You look down at this guy. Just, what has he done to you? What has he done to you? What has he done to you? Turning Paul's mic down. Uh, has <laughs> an agenda against Tim Tebow. I get it. You were in Denver during the days where he took the world by storm with all those flukish victories. Oh, my God. They were buying billboards. He was the next coming of John Elway. It was Hilarious. so ridiculous. Not his glorified fault. running back. Not his fault. Blame... Blame the Pittsburgh Steelers for constantly blowing it in the playoffs for any of that hype continuing. And by the way, John Elway pulled the plug on that immediately and brought in Peyton Manning. So he, it's not like Tim Tebow was able to keep his job because of all that fan support that he had. And he never made it work anywhere else. He got probably some more opportunities that he didn't necessarily deserve. But he wasn't a jerk, you know? If you're going to throw stones at anybody throw it at urban meyer because urban meyer deciding to spin the tires on tim tebow as a tight end when tebow had never ever wanted to be a tight end because he wanted to be a quarterback when he was in the nfl that is what you throw it on because you can't even argue that this was a decision that was made based off of some idea that tebow could play the position he had never done it and then you saw him try to block Poor Tebow, he just keeps getting taken advantage of. Like, it's really just not fair. The man just wants to go out and have a cosplay each and every week, pretending his professional athletic career is still going on, and we seem determined to to indulge in that. And if you say anything wrong, it's not Tebow's fault. You hate Tebow supporters. Is that more accurate? Do you hate the, the Tebow acolytes? I think the whole phenomenon is hilarious. And I will not miss an opportunity I loved to it. dump on it in every way possible. I, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious because no, everyone knew that there was all smoke and mirrors the way that they were winning. But that was such a crazy run in 2011. Lynn Sanity was stupid, too.
People don't hate on Jeremy Lin that same way. He gets a fair amount of abuse as well. Not as much. Jeremy Lin doesn't st- still keep getting. Dr- Jeremy Lin didn't go play baseball. Like <laughs> yeah, they, they did, he didn't. He didn't get an opportunity I, in the Mets farm system. Uh, Jeremy Kurt, Lin. Uh, J- Jeremy Lin did not go. Hey, hey, let's try him as a center for a little bit and see if he can post up. What's his back to the basket game? Also, Tebow had the opportunity to try playing a different position. And no, I want to be a quarterback. I want to be a quarterback. Yeah. And then what? Fifteen years right. later, he he's decides he wants. He's allowed to be a quarterback, though. I think they should have been forced to, the Jaguars should have been forced to keep him. I don't think he should have been allowed to tap out. Like, they should have ran him out there for another two weeks so we could get more jokes off about his bad blocking. Oh, no. They had to worry someone was going to get hurt. <laughs> On his own team. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for us. I want to thank the Professor John Clayton for our morning drive. Brock Heward, who was here for Blue 42. Maura Dooley, who puts up with all of our inanity. And Paul Gallant. Resident Tebow Homer. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> He's going to moan and cry and whine. Pour one out for the homie in this next segment. And he is Danny O'Neill. And uh, when's the last time you dubbed won a national championship? That's right, because they never had a Tim Tebow type. So long. Farewell. I'm going to run out the door on that one and into the next show. Jared Kelnick's season has been a success. Right? You get to answer that next on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle.